Welcome to 10 Minute TechCom. This is Ryan Weber at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. Today, we have a guest who's here to give us a snapshot of what technical communication is like today. I'm Saul Carliner, a professor at Concordia University in Montreal, and I'm delighted to be here today. Dr. Carliner, together with Yuan Chen, published the Technical Communication Census in the December 2018 issue of Intercom, the STC's magazine. The census gathered data from over 600 technical communicators about where they work, what they produce, what their job titles are, their job satisfaction, the technologies they work with, and many other questions. We're only going to be able to cover a small portion of what they captured today, but the data that Dr. Carliner offers us tells us a lot about what's going on in the world of technical communication. And while we're on the subject of Intercom, I wanted to put in a quick plug for the student perspectives column that I edit. If you are a student or know a student who wants to write a short piece for Intercom about trends or ideas in technical communication, please contact me at my email address, which is available in the show notes. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Saul. I really appreciate you joining us today. I was really interested in this TechCom survey that you released uh, last December in Intercom, and I wanted to talk with you about some of your findings, but I guess a good place to start is just telling us a little bit about the census itself, why you decided to conduct it, what you asked, who you asked, that kind of thing. So the idea was to get a sense of what are people really doing in their jobs? What are their backgrounds? Because STC is about people's professional development, we want to get a sense of how people feel about the profession, what they see as the big issues, but not an open question, but based on things that we publish in our literature. And finally, how are they developing themselves and how do they see their future? Because we want to get a like almost a pulse check on where people are. We blasted several times through the STC, um, sent it to other organizations, hoping they would share. And I was really, really pleased. The majority of the respondents were from STC. Uh, The majority of the respondents were from North America, which makes sense because that's my network and STC's network. So that's kind of the background of it. And the only thing I would add is my hope is that we will do this again. I don't know that it should be done every year like some other surveys. I think every two to three years is sufficient. On a really super personal level, one of the things I always lament about our field is that we witnessed probably one of the greatest transitions in publishing since the Gutenberg printing press. And we have nothing to track that transition. We don't have periodically collected data on work habits, work processes, and stuff like that to get a sense of, well, how did, how did this finally encroach itself? We have a lot of qualitative data, and that's really good, but we don't have any aggregate data. And I think that's a, a real hole in our data. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for ultimately some like longitudinal data about the development of the field. Because it gives you an idea, how is the field changing? I believe that there's been changes. I don't have any data to back that up. What I have is, is I know where we are today. That's the only thing I feel confident saying. Let's focus in on a slice of this. You know, we, as you, we were talking about getting ready for this podcast, you said, you know, to deep dive into the whole thing would be too much. So we decided to talk about specifically kind of the work responsibilities of technical communicators, what they do, what they produce, what technologies they use. So let's dig into that data. What kinds of work responsibilities do technical communicators have? That's one of the big questions you asked was what were their primary and secondary work responsibilities? What are they doing at work? I asked a lot of different versions of this question because I wanted, it's what you call planned redundancy. And the reason being that, you know, sometimes people say one thing when you ask them the question one way versus we ask them job title, which gives us some insight. But we also ask them what the primary, secondary, and tertiary responsibilities were, which gives us a much better idea of what they're doing on the job. The primary job role, and it's like almost 70% of the participants. Or over, it's a little bit over 70%. 
is either a writer alone or a writer slash editor. There's about a third more writers slash editors than writers alone. So that means the majority of us are writers. The next largest group, and that's about 17%, are managers. And so what that really means is that the majority of us are in really traditional roles in tech comm. So we hear about other roles. And God knows I, on a personal level, I've tried a lot of them. But when you, like the bread and butter of our work is really being a writer or writer slash editor. There were a couple of real big surprises in here. One of them was editor. It's a real small percent. It's like two to three percent of our population are full-time editors alone. And it was surprising because even though I know that organizations have been cutting back on their editing, I figured it might be about 10 percent. You know, just based on my time when I was working full-time as a tech writer, which is really in the stone ages. And I really should leave a lot of that experience there. But it was like two to three percent, which means there are a lot of people doing double duty with writing. And that's an important one. Another one, we call ourselves technical communicators. And one of the reasons is, is to be more inclusive of people who do jobs other than writing. So that would include editing being one of them. Another one's technical illustrator. And we had even fewer of that. I think it was barely registered a percent. It was like below a percent. This gets into job title. One of the big questions we had in the 90s was, do we call ourselves tech writers? Everybody wanted to be called an information designer, information developer. IBM piloted the word information developer in 1981. I was there when it happened. I had my job title changed from junior tech writer to junior information developer in January of 1981. So I definitely remember that one. We flash forward to today when we look at the job titles. Only five people had some version of information developer. About a quarter of the people in the survey were in some kind of senior role. Most of them used the word senior, but there was the word like principal or lead in a few cases. The other term that was really kind of interesting to me one of the things that a lot of us call ourselves these days, like content strategists or content developers, we only had five job titles in the batch of all the job titles that were there. Only five people, count them five, had some version of the word content. And when we look at job responsibilities, what's your primary job responsibility? So we, that's another way we ask these questions. Content strategy was generally a second or third time job priority. And it was, all, it was fewer than 20% that even came in at the second priority. So I know that there's a lot of focus on content strategy, and it's not to take anything away from that. But when we're looking at what people who consider themselves to be technical communicators, it's writing and editing is the big thing or supervising that work. And again, it's there are very few people who are doing just straight up editing. It's mostly people who are doing both writing and editing as their primary responsibilities. Yes, exactly. Exactly what that writing and editing is, I think would be a great study. Well, if you're a writer slash editor, what exactly makes you both? And I have a feeling there's some production responsibility in there. I have a feeling there's some, and I hate the word, wordsmithing of existing stuff from subject matter experts that's not going to be rewritten involved in that. So anybody's looking for a research topic, that's a great one. There you go. There you go. So we've got writers and editors. What are they writing? What kinds of documents are they writing? It's interesting. So the top, the magical top five are... Number one is user guides, and it's 66% of people have worked with them in the past 12 months. Help and user assistance, 52%. So user guides are still number one, and I would say with a bullet, after all these years, everyone says, oh, we're out of the user guide business. It doesn't seem that way. 52% are doing help and user assistance topics. 46% are working on reference material. Fourth one, tutorials and training materials, which is 45%. So we have almost as much work 
in tutorials and training materials as reference materials. And the number five at 40% is policies and procedures. I've done some other studies earlier of TechCom, not quite this broad, obviously, but this list of five is extremely consistent with that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the last one on the list, chatbots, which was 2%. 2%, I mean, 2% of the people work with it. It was of the top five technologies they work with. Doesn't mean they didn't work with one. It just means it wasn't the top five. Then you'll see other surveys that say, well, chatbots are really important in the future. So with the chatbots, with these technologies, I want to ask it pretty much in a behavioral way, which means what are you really doing? So it was interesting. I was on a panel at ATTW, and someone was saying, well, my numbers say something different. I said, the chatbots. I said, how did they ask the question? Because if you're saying what's going to be most important in the next five years, I probably would add chatbots because I think they're doable. I've seen how they work. I played with them. Sometimes they answer the question. Sometimes they really don't. But I do think they're going to play more of a role. But do people use them? I don't think that's the case. And so it really, you really need to ask the question in a particular way. My focus is on what are people doing as opposed to what would people like to be doing. One other thing I think that influences this too, our assumption has always been, and this is based on 1980s and early 1990s demographics of our fields, that most of us are working in high tech and we're working in telecommunications. And one of the things that's really interesting you know, since I last saw that kind of data in the 90s, and I really haven't paid as close attention, I haven't had access to it either. I saw a much greater diversity of industries in which people work this time. But a lot of people are working in scientific equipment. And what that means is it's still got software, but it's like kind of a business to business thing. So it's a very different business. And there are user guides because a lot of people are using this equipment. So they're not using it on their computer. It used to work in software. A lot of people are working in IT services and solutions. So with the, it's still software. But now it's customized software for an individual organization, as opposed to I'm creating commercial product for sale. We have large numbers of people working in finance and banking and engineering firms. So I think what you see going on here is there's been a shift in where we work. And as you've seen that shift, I think the way organizations in these particular situations are delivering their information may be more traditional. And it may be because of the way they do business and the nature of the products and services they have. That's interesting. So we've got a wider array of industries, but we've also got, we're talking about sort of the changes in the field. What kinds of trends are coming up that have been affecting the way that technical communicators work? We, we did a couple of things. So I looked at things like how many people are using structured writing. I, I have to be honest. I asked one question badly that I will change next time. I asked about technical communication standards. I have a feeling most people thought read that as style guys. And I was thinking of things like data and ISO 9000 or ISO standards regarding stuff like that. So I need to change that one for the future. I'll be honest. I did not. I was not entirely sure what that meant. Well, you were not alone. Structured writing is used by roughly 70%, give or take a few. About 50% use agile. Translation practices don't really... They're not as big in North America. I imagine if we had a larger European base, we would see something different here. Um, there's printing, about a third of the people use it to some extent or to a great extent. So those kinds of practices aren't really affecting us a whole lot, except for maybe structured writing. But there's nothing that's really kind of over the top. Some other trends that I think are, you know, in terms of technologies, the, people were shocked when I said the number one technology used is word processing. I mean, like Word or Google Docs or something like that, not, not a fancy tool. But it actually makes sense because most people have it. It's installed on the computer. Or you get it installed 
Most organizations have a site license. Acrobat or PDF makers are number two. Spreadsheet, this kind of surprised me, Spreadsheet was number three, but I have a feeling that there's a lot of work that's done in Spreadsheet instead of in Word. And then presentation graphics, PowerPoint, or Apple Keynote were number four, and then graphics are number five. Down at the bottom, and this one really kind of shocked me, was storyboarding was kind of low, um, which I was kind of surprised by. Content management, it's used, but it's not, it was number 12, only 20% use it. So we hear a lot about, and I think it's because it's complex and it's hard that people talk about it a lot, but it's not widely used. But there's another explanation for this. Your organization needs to be of a certain heft and size before it makes sense to even consider content management. And about a third of our population works in small organizations. So they don't have the heft and the size. So I think that gets overlooked a lot. And then component content management is really intended for people doing translation. So that's people doing international products, working in the pharmaceutical industry or medical device industry. One of our largest industries is IT services and solutions. It's all internal work. If they're going to use content management, they're probably using a non-component content management like SharePoint or something like that. So I think there's some explanations for why some of these things are not the way that everybody would expect them to be. Sure. Yeah, well, no, I wasn't surprised at all to see Word as such a dominant technology. You know, I think that reflects what I hear from local technical communicators. Of course, you know, it's um, clearance approved, too. We've got a lot of government contractors, you know, it's secret clearance approved where some of the other tools aren't. But yeah, I was not surprised to see it so um, dominant in your survey. Oh, yeah. If this was Billboard, it would be number one with a bullet. (laughs) Number one hit. Not the most loved technology, but the most used. It's that song that just you can listen to it over and over again and you never get tired of it. That song that you wish you could stop hearing, but uh, they just keep playing on the radio anyways. Absolutely. Well, let's move a little bit to satisfaction. So are technical communicators, are they happy with their jobs? In a word, yes. We looked at a lot of different things. So we asked if people were satisfied in their jobs and in their careers. And you can look at, you can read the articles to get the exact numbers, but they are overwhelmingly satisfied with both, which I was very pleasantly surprised about. So I also wanted to see, if you follow the the literature for the last couple of decades, um, one of the big issues has been outsourcing and just fear of losing your jobs. So there are a number of different measures that give you an indication of whether somebody's, like they say, are you happy in your job? They might say yes, but then there are other measures that tell you, not really. So we did a couple of those. So one of them was, first of all, how likely do you feel like your job is about to be outsourced? 20 years ago, I, would, I, I had people accosting me with concerns about this. It seems to be very low. I mean. A small minority of our participants were really concerned about outsourcing at all. The other thing we hear a lot about is automation. And I have to be honest, when I read what automation can do in the writing realm, I get a little worried. But apparently I'm in a minority because I have the number in front of me right now. I believe my job could be automated out of existence by 2030, which is the magic year for a lot of predictions about jobs. And only 13%, I think it's kind of telling. I think it's definitely or probably going to happen. By contrast, 70% say it probably or definitely will not happen to them. So people are not feeling unconfident. Another measure of whether people are happy in their jobs and in their careers is, first of all, do they plan to be in those jobs or careers, all other things being equal, in five years? And if they're going to get out of those jobs, what careers do they want to go into? 
And what we found was most people actually intend to stay in their job as long as they possibly can. Of those who plan to leave their jobs, the majority plan to either stay in technical communication, many want to move into a management job, or they're going to retire. So I think what that really says is when people are saying they're satisfied, they're satisfied. People feel like they're paid reasonably well in their job. That's another proxy measure for this. They could always use more resources, but overall, people feel like they generally, I wouldn't say they're like enthusiastic, but the numbers say generally they agree. They're not like strongly agree with that. I get the resources I need to do my job. I get the time needed. Could they use more? Absolutely. But do they, and they feel like they have input and they have authority to do the job. So this is a lot of data and you've, this is only a slice of what you collected. What's your takeaway from from all of this? What kind of what when you got all this data, what were sort of two or three big things that you learned or saw about the field from it? I think the first thing that I always come back to is that people are just really satisfied with their work and their careers. There's another related point. For a lot of people, we skew older, but for a lot of people, this is their second career, which means they chose us. It's kind of like if you had a bad first marriage and you're going into a second marriage and you want to make this one work. But I think that may have something to do with that happiness factor. I'd say the nature of the work and the technologies we work with, it was not a surprise to me, but I do think it's really important. The majority of people in the field are working as technical writers or technical writers slash editors or their managers. And I think that sometimes we don't honor and on a personal level, I think when we talk about all these things that you can do, we don't always honor that job as much as maybe we should. And I think that's important. I think in terms of technology, we work with a lot of different technologies. Everything got something. But I think often when we say, oh, my God, I'm keeping out of touch with technology. And when you look at what people are working with, maybe we overstate some of the bleeding edge stuff, both in terms of its how much it's used and how much of an impact it's having on day-to-day work for people. And I really want to be clear about this. That's not to say that's not important. But I think sometimes what happens is we focus on the bleeding edge because it's new. And we forget to celebrate the everyday because it's not as sexy and new. There's a play, Our Town, that many people have probably studied in high school like I did. And my high school English teacher, she made a big point of talking about Act 3, two characters come back from the dead. They get a chance to come back from one day. They can pick any day they want. And the advice to them is, choose any day. It will be important enough. And I think that's really important when it comes to our work. Our work is important enough even the basic everyday stuff. And we should celebrate that. Excellent. Well, hey, thanks for doing all this work and for talking with us about it. Thanks for asking. Thanks for doing the survey. And uh, listeners can find more about it in Intercom December 2018.